Hey guys, welcome to the Speak Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Winley. I'm here with Mrs. Brett Brown. She is the Director of Education for SAS. If you don't know what SAS is, SAS is an acronym for Surviving Assault, Standing Strong. It is, I'm going to start by saying it is somewhat of a self-defense class or course for ladies. However, I found it to be much more meaningful than merely a self-defense class. It's more of an empowerment for young ladies across the board, from whatever your background or to whatever your age. And she has worked hand in hand and side by side with those responsible for creating this particular course. And we're gonna talk with her about her background and then some nuggets that she can drop on you guys. So we're looking forward to this conversation. Brett, is there anything that you'd like to say? No, just thank you, Jason, for what you're doing and for giving me the opportunity to talk. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, we're excited to have you. All right, so first we're going to start off with the Director of Education for SAS. And I remember SAS starting, and the Director of Education wasn't necessarily uh, a starting position that started with the program initially, but it's awesome to see how the program has grown to demand the need for a Director of Education. Can you tell us about your role and how SAS has grown to encompass the director of education as a position? Absolutely. So, you know, I've been involved with SAS on a variety of different levels for a number of years, really since it originally began. What happened over time, you know, we worked really hard when you're teaching, when you're teaching self-defense, let's start Mm -hmm. there. Okay. And there's a group of women in the class, you really are holding their past, their present, and potentially their future in your hands. Um, You are teaching them what it means to set boundaries and enforce them. You're talking about how valuable they are. You're looking at um, and acknowledging whatever, whatever happened in the past is not your fault. And whatever you did to survive was the right thing to do, you know, and there's all these elements happening when you're in the room. Mm -hmm. And so as we kind of develop the program, pouring into it to address anybody who may be there, right? right. Anticipating those needs and, and putting something together that speaks to people's hearts and souls and lets them know um, how strong they are, um, that they're loved and that they have a purpose that existed long before they ever met us, mm-hmm. you know, and is so much bigger than anything beyond this class and, and giving them the confidence to embrace that and move forward. So, once we kind of got the program together in full and we realized um, what we had, right. it was something that did not belong to us. It never had <laughs> in the yeah. sense that it was a living, breathing thing. And it and it wasn't because of us. It was the combination of, of women in the room. But when you realize you have this thing, it's not something that you can keep to yourself. Right. right? So this thing is like... So, this thing's like this is constantly yeah, evolving so- always over time. And the more people you introduce it to and the more you people you become introduced yes. to. Okay. Yes. And so it just starts to grow. And so the conversation really centered around how do we give this to everybody? Hmm. What does that look like? Um, and not just in this area, because our mission as an organization is to eradicate assault, abuse, and trafficking globally. And so at the time when we actually formed the nonprofit, which was our vehicle for taking this information and and getting it out there, um, there's three of us, right? (laughs) And, And we couldn't be everywhere. And so we knew what we needed were more instructors. So as far as my role as director of education, 
One, once kind of finalizing the curriculum for our general courses, writing that and developing that, mm -hmm. my next job was to figure out how do you teach other people to do this? Mm -hmm. and how do you what, teach other people to teach? How do you teach other people to teach the curriculum that we had so that yeah. we could train women who were like-minded and passionate about uh, this information and help them embed it in their community and spread that way, you know, yeah. from state to state. So my job was to write that training, one, everything that they needed to know so that what they were teaching was um, not just the physical accuracy and, and all the important pieces there, but that it was trauma informed, mm -hmm. not pretending to be counselors, but recognizing needs in the room. Um, and that they, you know, we look at it that they're versatile, that they can speak to whoever's in front of them, that they can, you know, really build this thing. And so my job was figuring out one, how do we train them? <laughs> and then two, establishing the standards, because what we're talking about really is life or death. Mm -hmm. um, and so watching that grow has been fascinating um, and exciting. Um, a lot of work went into that. And, you know, it's cool. We're in 15 states now. Um, oh, wonderful. And that has been thrilling and humbling to be a part of the ride. Oh, I imagine. Um, but to meet yeah, to meet these women from literally coast to coast, from L.A. down to the Gulf and here and bring them in and they go through a three month training period before they can test out and certify. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been incredible. Um, and to watch that wave kind of spread out state to state. So that's been a huge part of my role is the curriculum of the courses, but also training other people to do it, to, to do, do it, it right yeah. and to spread the good news. So you mentioned the word standard, which means obviously when you're doing a curriculum and you're having to teach people to teach, you have to have some form of principles that underlie the baseline education. And you mentioned that. So I imagine it's very hard to take, or I guess when you're developing it and you have the idea of so many people's different traumas, you don't want to individual or you don't want to group them all in one. However, I'm imagining you guys found some similarities amongst everything that is going on in people's lives that allowed you guys to teach this so productively. Can you tell me that a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so there's several different types of standards that our instructors are going through. But when it comes to looking at trauma, um, there are commonalities. You know, um, we first you have to teach people where fear turns into trauma mm -hmm. and then how that plays out in different people's lives. So where obviously, fear turns you know, trauma, is that just, what you said? Yeah. Um, where fear turns into trauma and how it plays out in a survivor's life. And clearly there, you know, everybody deals with trauma differently. Oh, um, sorry. My computer did something weird. Um, but there it's, it's what we call ripples in people's bucket. Um, uh-huh. What we, and I can explain it to you like this, um, when we talk about how trauma affects somebody's daily life in terms of commonalities, um, I always tell folks, if you imagine that a person is one of those five gallon um, buckets of water, like you see at Lowe's or Home Depot, right? Yeah, and it's, it's filled buckets. to the top yeah. with water. Okay. Yep, one big, one big bucket. An assault or abuse is like taking a fist-sized rock and chunking it in the bucket. Mm. And that rock 
sinks straight down to the bottom. So from the outside, you can't see that. But what you can see on the surface are ripples, yeah. right? Yeah. After it happens, there's everything splashes out, right? And it's a big mm. old mess. But after that, there are these ripples on the surface and they cover everything. After the and initial- And they come in and they go- After the initial- Yes, after the initial assault. And the mess is huge. And there, it's probably super visible to everybody immediately, right? It's, it's hard, but then the ripples are what's happening as time goes on, after the mess has initially been, has died down, okay? Yes. And these ripples, they cover the entire surface. And so how that plays out in people's lives, you know, ripples look different for everybody, but it affects their ability in terms of relationships mm -hmm. and concentration and confidence. You know, the difference between, I can also put it to you like this. Um, there are lots of different kinds of trauma in the world, right? Yes. Um, we see it in natural disasters, so tsunamis, earthquakes, things like that. The difference between a survivor of an earthquake um, and a survivor of interpersonal violence is the survivor of interpersonal violence is typically somewhat isolated. So think of it like this. A massive earthquake happens and there's survivors, people rush in, right? First right. responders, supporters, churches, you know, all these people get involved to support whatever community was affected. Mm -hmm. So it's a shared experience. It's talked about. Yes. Resources are brought in. Typically with survivors, no one knows. Mm. Um, and it's something that none of us were ever, we were never intended to carry that, right? right? It's, mm -hmm. it's something we were never intended to carry, but when no one knows they've been walking along for a long time, seemingly by themselves and processing that a lot of times they tend to take responsibility on themselves. So in our classes, some of the first things that we can establish is one, that they're not alone, that two, nothing you do ever gives anybody the right to lay a hand on you ever. And then three, that there is hope beyond this and beyond this moment and working through that as a group because kind of like I said at the beginning, they are strong and they are loved and they have a purpose. Yep. And our classes are about digging in to that mm -hmm. and training our instructors to recognize the specifics of how it plays out and then how do you build somebody up from that moment? Yep. Um, because in our classes, we address some of this head on and being prepared for that. What you said hope, um, beyond this moment, which is one of the things I thought was really cool, is when I hear you guys talk about classes, I hear that this class isn't just pre-trauma, but it's also post-trauma. And so many people have learned to find their power after they've taken your class that it's almost that the recovery process is enhanced by, by going through this. And I, can you talk a little bit about that? I know you've got some stories. Obviously, you can't tell everything, but give us a little insight of how that looks. That's an amazing, I, I love the way that, I love the stories when I hear them. Oh, so it's it's really, it, look, I'm getting chill bumps right now just mm -hmm. thinking about it. That's no, it's, it's powerful. And we can look at this a couple of ways. So a lot of people who have been dealing with past experiences, what happens, our body in an effort to protect ourselves, recognizes kind of 
sensory things, sight, sound, smells that yeah. occurred right before the trauma. And yeah. when we see, feel, whatever those, our body goes, oh, you're in danger and starts playing as if you are, right? Yes, yes. Um, and I think probably one of my favorite stories, I uh, we teach an elite course, which is an eight-week course uh -huh. that goes through everything um, from basic foundations all the way to defending against weapons. Anyways, there's this wonderful, beautiful woman in my class. She was in her 30s. She had three little girls. And I remember it's probably about our fourth week. I could see that something was going on with her, mm -hmm. you know, that she was having a hard time. And after class, uh, she kind of lingered and she came up to me and she said, you know, Brett, I feel like I'm losing my mind. And I said, what do you mean? And, um, and she said, every time at this time of year, when it turns fall, the leaves start changing color, I start feeling like I can't breathe. Mm. And I can't sleep and, you know, my husband doesn't understand and I can't, I don't know what's going on. And, and we started talking and in her situation, it turned out that when she was a little girl, I think she was four or five, her mom was murdered Ooh. by a boyfriend in front of her. And it was that time of year. Right. Um, and so her body, remembering the way that moment felt, was reliving that all the way into her thirties. And part of her taking this class was to figure out how to make things different. And, and along with counseling, let's be clear, we don't replace counseling. It's part of the therapeutic pie. But what was beautiful is I, I got to look her in the eyes and say, you're not crazy. Mm -hmm. Right. And to talk through what was happening in her body, which, which gave her a handle. But more than that, I found out a couple of weeks later for years, she had had nightmares. Yeah. about what happened to her mom right and kind of that that feeling of powerlessness and she told me um that one night she said she sat straight up in bed because mm -hmm. she it was it started out as the same dream right but this time she wasn't a child and she was an adult and when she was an adult she went and she fought back she won the day and at the end of that she won Yep. And, and she was telling me this and she was crying because after that, she didn't have the dream again. Mm. And she told me, and it took all that I had not to boohoo mm -hmm. is she said, um, I get to rewrite my story because it doesn't have to end that way. You were just talking about chill bumps, that rewriting the story right there, just <laughs> chill bumps right there. She got to rewrite her story. Mm -hmm. And I have heard a version of that so many times over. Look, I've got it again. <laughs> so many times over that, I mean, you can't stop, right? Like we have to get this into everybody's hands because it, it's not us. It's, it's not one person. It's not one class. It's that human beings are incredibly beautiful and resilient when you give them the opportunity to support them yeah. and show them just how powerful they are. Right, right. And so we're talking currently on trauma and how your class affects people post-trauma and that empowerment. But at the same time, you guys have gone from dealing with or working with people from about 14. I remember that was the age limit at one point in time. And you guys have opened mm -hmm. a class for younger girls. That right there, I think, is amazing in teaching these girls um, empowerment. So how do you transition from such, um, I don't know a better, a different word, but your approach is, I would call it, it's not aggressive, but it's, the topics are different. They're hard. They're harsh topics, period. You can't get around it. Mm -hmm. Harsh topics from that older age group 
to being able to equip young ladies from the ages of about six to the to to their teenagers age years. I yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, we actually started with just eighteen and up. Okay. Um, and it didn't take long for us to realize it was too late and we needed mm -hmm. to talk to them mm -hmm. earlier, mm -hmm. um, which is when the age range went from basically ninth grade and up. And we did that for a long time, but we were seeing the same things. You'd come in and it's crocodile tears and things that they'd been through. And we said, we have to back this up. And so what we did, you know, as far as you asked about my role as director of education earlier, um, is we said, okay, well, let's, let's go down to middle school. What does this look like? Um, yeah. And obviously the curriculum, physically middle school girls can do the same moves. Mentally, they're not in the same place. Right. So we had to write it in a way that met them where they were developmentally. So that's looking at... Um, both brain development and socially and all those things, because for middle schoolers, they're interested in, in new things. Um, they get excited about that, but don't necessarily have the judgment to play out <laughs> consequences and things like that. So <laughs> kind of what does that look like? How do you hook them and gain their trust? And so we did that and it worked really, really well. Um, we wrote the content for the talking portion specifically for the middle school girl right. and it was gorgeous. Um, but we still found that for a lot of folks, it was too late and we needed to get there earlier. And some trends mm -hmm. that we saw, along with a lack of confidence, which is a trademark of middle school, let's be honest, um, was that women and girls had a hard time saying no, feeling comfortable doing that, mm -hmm. um, feeling like it was okay for them to do that. because, And also, you know, understanding what healthy relationships and boundaries looked like. So then we decided we had to go to little girls. We had yes. to start with little girls and, and we pulled in experts. It wasn't just us, teachers, counselors, whatever, to write a curriculum that mom and daughter could take together. Mm -hmm. And what is so neat, that's our sassafras class. It's so mm -hmm. unique. So little girls, it feels like play. They yeah. have a ball. Um, when we get there, we talk to moms and, and caregivers first to explain right. why we're doing what we're doing mm -hmm. so that they understand the intent behind it. Um, and then we tell them, you know, you're about to be her hero. So whatever I ask you to do, you do it full out, bigger and louder, and she's going to be so excited and you guys are in this together. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And we go in and what's so beautiful, you walk in to a class with first graders, Right. And you yeah. look at those first graders and you tell them that they're amazing. And they're like, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> they're all in. They totally believe you. And it's what I, I always call it the bright eyes of before, right? Yeah. Like the world hasn't gotten to them yet. And so the goal with this Sassafras class is that the bright eyes of before can be there forever. Mm -hmm. um, I think about this with my daughter all the time. Um, and so it's to establish one, the Sassafras class is to teach them Yes, how important they are, but it's it's to prevent grooming. It's to look at, um, to teach kiddos how to recognize behaviors versus people. You know, for so many years, they taught stranger danger. And that's just not enough because right. over 80% of assaults are committed by somebody you know, trust, or love. Mm. So what you have to teach them is what healthy interactions look like and that they have permission when they're uncomfortable to say, please don't do that. And then if it continues, what to do? And so, you know, we don't get in the technicalities with the little girls, but they learn that they can stand their ground mm -hmm. and 
that mama will be there and she will support them and yes. she will encourage them. And there's this kind of foundation. It's, it's teaching parents how to be a soft place to fall and mm -hmm. um, when mistakes are made, um, but also giving them the language to have conversations that don't scare these kiddos to death, right. but also that as they grow, can get more in depth when they have questions, when they have concerns. And so we provide a lot of resources too, but a lot of that is really building them up in here and what to do if for some reason they get separated from mom or what to do if they feel uncomfortable and just backing that up um, and giving them opportunity to learn the real thing. And I'll use this example and I'm sorry if I am saying more right now than I need to, but oh, you're good. You're good. Um, we always, Okay, thanks. We always mm -hmm. teach moms that, um, you know, the Federal Reserve, when they're looking, the people who uh, identify counterfeit bills, okay. they, um, when they're training for that job, they never study the fake ones at all. They only look at the real thing and they look at it for years and years and years, studying every side front and back so that they know every detail so that when a counterfeit bill passes through, they recognize it immediately mm -hmm. because they've spent so much time with the real thing. Yes. What we try and do in our little girls class is to help those girls and their mamas and their family, whoever's in there with them, to give those girls the opportunity to interact with the real thing. Yeah to see healthy relationships, to see love, to see support, um, so that whether it's at school or at soccer practice or wherever, mm -hmm. when those girls encounter the counterfeit, they recognize it immediately and they know what to do. Yeah. And that's the goal is to teach them the real thing um, so that they can stand on that for years to come. For years to come. One of the things I learned um, Obviously, I didn't take a SAS course, but I've watched it come up for the last <laughs> few years. But one of the things, because I have a daughter now. I didn't have a daughter when I first met Shannon and you guys. And um, one of the things I picked up, though, is what we do on a regular basis. And I've also had to tell, not that anybody was causing harm, but if we're playing or if we're tickling right. or if we're wrestling, the word no and the word stop mean no and stop. I don't feel like doing it. And I thought that was something, it's small, but I think it's, it's going to have a huge, I hope it has a huge impact. And from what we can tell, it, it does have a huge impact on her ability to be able to, even my son, it's not just stopping at my daughter, but um, no and stop, me no and stop. And there's been times where I've heard them, whether it was with a family member and the family member was tickling them or just goofing, goofing off and they said, stop and no. And then it went from, oh, we're playing to, I said, stop and no. And I've walked in just mm -hmm. to oversee, just to make sure it's good. But I wanted them to, I've, right. I want them to feel like they have the capacity to say stop and no, and know that if they say stop and no, and they turn around, that daddy or mommy are there to agree and said, mm -hmm. my son said stop, my daughter said stop. That means stop. I don't care if you're just playing. Please respect their um, their physical being. That's what they're asking you to do. And that's one of the things I've really picked up from you guys. And I really appreciate the work, even though I'm not in the class. There's still so much to be learned just from being in your guys' presence. It's amazing. Um, Thank you. No, and that's huge. Um, teaching people that their no should be respected. That's so big. So great job, and I'm excited to hear it. And you're right. It's not just little girls. It's girls and boys. Mm -hmm. And so going a little bit away from that, you have grown up. I always want to try to find that that element of faith where people are driven by their faith. And mm -hmm. you grew up where your father was a pastor for many years. 
Yeah, and yes. so essentially you're a preacher's kid, and I, I am too, actually. I am. <laughs> oh, okay, we, we recognize our own. Yeah, okay. you know, real recognizes real. But like, so we're both preacher's kids, but we're, we'll talk about your preacher's story and your faith story. Tell us how faith has kind of intermingled its way into what you're able to do and what you've been able to do um, across your life right now. I tell you what, it's almost impossible to know where to begin as far as how faith is intermingled with what I'm doing right now. Um, There are about 4 million roads, right, that lead to this moment. And it's amazing how nothing is wasted. There are no scraps at God's table. I look back on my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And let's face it, I'm a person. There's been some ugly. (laughs) (laughs) But but he's it right he's he's used it all um and i think the biggest thing it's hard for me to pick and to be articulate in this really you know sasco when i say it's its own living breathing thing most of what's happened is not something that we could have predicted mm-hmm. or planned mm-hmm. or pushed for you know it's that the timing was perfect and you watch all these things fall into place and you look at the people involved and where they came from, myself included, and you see this beautiful story that is impossible to call coincidence, right? right. It's, it's impossible. Um, and I think what we witness in classes, you know, I always go back to the fact there are several things. Hmm. One, I always go back to the fact that we were created in God's image, right? Mm-hmm. And most people take that to mean the way that we look or our spirits, and that's certainly included. But, you know, you talk about the word no and, and some of the things that we share. I go back to the fact if we're made in God's image, that includes his voice. Right. And I think about way back in Genesis when he created the heavens and the earth, what did he do? He spoke. He spoke. Right? He spoke the he spoke. world into existence. That's right. And that when we use our voices, knowing we're created in God's image, we can create whole new worlds for people (laughs) simply by using our voice. And I see it happen over and over and over again. And I watch these people, you know, in our classes, people are nervous, right? Nobody knows what to expect when you say we're going to fight, you know, or, you know, (laughs) learn self-defense. But they come in nervous and they're they're small and and a little bit giggly, which is Mm -hmm. fine. But they leave big, right? right? They leave taller, having learned something about themselves that I didn't give them. Mm -hmm. I look at them and I think about the fact that God knows every single hair on their head, much less where their life is going. And so we get to come in and we get to speak truth and we get to discover things about ourselves. You know, they came in with everything they needed. Mm -hmm. We just acknowledged it. Yep. And then they see it and they walk out and they take that with them. And so when you talk about faith, you know, we hear some really, really hard stories, but we also get to see truth and grace and hope. And if that isn't God moving around in every room, I don't know what is, you know, and and these perfect, beautiful people that he created that he has a plan for. And it's just neat to have a moment with them Mm -hmm. that we can acknowledge how grateful they are that he put them here in this moment and is going to carry them forward. So that that's how, that's how I view it at least. That's cool. That's really good. Uh, I think that's a good place to stop, but I think we're going to, I'm going to go over some of the things you've said so far. Um, 
you deal with people in their past, present, and their future, teaching them how to create boundaries. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we've gained out of here is boundaries are huge. And that's one of the things you guys teach both little girls. And then you almost repair those boundaries as those um, young girls become older or if they've gone through trauma. It's where did the boundaries get set up again? What's the next set of boundaries look like? And you guys are kind of like a landing pad for those girls. And I think that's an amazing place. Obviously, we're, we said before, we're not take, you're not taking the place of, of a clinical or a clinician or a counselor. Right. But you're part of the process. And I think that's what's a huge thing. And the fact that it's backed by faith. And I think that's one of the biggest parts, especially since you guys are dealing with such, sometimes it's just harsh. And you have to have something to rely on. Mm-hmm something strong to, mm-hmm. to hold your foundation in. So if there's anything you'd like to conclude with, Brett, I really appreciate your time. Oh, no, I'm so grateful for you. I think the only thing that I would conclude with mm-hmm. is that if anybody in is listens to this and is interested to head over to our website, there's so many ways to get involved, and it's um, sasco.org mm-hmm. okay. um, that, you know, we always say we'll keep building a bigger table if you're willing <laughs> yeah. to join us because um, this is not something that can be done alone. And so I would invite anybody, if it speaks to your heart in any way, um, to reach out and let's find a way to plug in because it's it's going to take all of us Absolutely. to to Good. do this thing. But Jason, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm glad we could have this conversation. We thank you guys for watching and listening out there to the Speak Strength podcast. We hope you guys have a wonderful day and we'll see you next time.